You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Early in our marriage, it was probably uh, probably our second year. I know it wasn't our first year, probably our second year. Um, it was our it was Christmas time, and uh, you know, so I'm trying to what do I get Betsy? And I know she needed a top. You know, she wanted a, a you know a, a top, and so I put money in an envelope and I stuck it under the tree. It didn't go over well. Now, some of the women understand what I'm about to describe what happened here. Um, here's the thing. See, we, from the very beginning, we've always had a shared joint account. My money's her money. Her money's my money. It always goes in the same pot. Um, so for me to give her money, it was like, she's like, like I could have done that myself. You're not, you're not, that's not much of a gift. You're not, you know, it's just, I could have done this. I could have just went out and bought it last week if that's what it was. The problem wasn't the money. I mean, the money was great, and the idea that I said, hey, this is important, I want you to get this, the fact that I affirm that is not a bad thing, but compare the two different scenarios here. One scenario is this. Last, if I were to say this to her, last month, I spent four hours one Saturday afternoon, I went to three different stores, and when I saw this top, I said, this is you. It's your color, it's your size, it's, and this is, I knew this was the one that you were going to love this, and I'm really excited to be able to give this to you. That's one scenario, or what I did, here's 50 bucks, go buy yourself something nice. So the problem, again, wasn't that fact that I, it wasn't the money, the problem was that I had put so little thought or time into her gift. I didn't really think about it much at all. It was actually a quick solution. Now, and there was, so there was, there was just nothing really special about her gift. It was, it was, eh. Now, you'll be happy to know um, I've learned my lesson. Uh, subsequent Christmases and birthdays I've learned. Birthdays are the similar. Um, you, you can't just, you know, you can't just wing it. You can't do it the night before. You got a little thought into it. Um, you know, but the, I learned that I need to put some time and thought into it, that this is, because that's really a gift. When you're receiving a gift, it, it just, when you know that the person is thinking about you, that's sometimes half the value of it, is that you feel so affirmed. And so I clearly had not done that. Um, but over the years, I've discovered that this same idea applies to much of life. It doesn't make, it makes, let me say it this way, it makes very little difference what you say your priorities are. It's what you do that reveals your true priorities. And I had, in my ex- gift-buying experience for Betsy, I had shown that this was not really a priority for me. I had not invested the time into it like I probably should have. Now, this idea of priorities is what, the same thing we're seeing uh, in the book of Haggai. And uh, if you were here last week, you know that we started a five-week series on the book. And uh, today is week two. Haggai is one of those small Old Testament books in the Old Testament. In fact, it's third from the end. It's something to find it, you know, thumbing through, it's, it's easy as you start at the back with Malachi, Zechariah, then Haggai. It's only two chapters. It's very short. Uh, but he has some very profound things to say that we're going to actually take five weeks to look at and ex- explore. Now, last week we learned this, that uh, in, in Haggai, we learned that because the Israelites continually turn their back on God, continually from the very beginning that he ultimately allowed the Israelites to be overrun by a neighboring country. And uh, Israel at that point in time had actually broken up into two different groups. You had a northern group and a southern group. The northern group 
um, was, was captured. Um, I forget which uh, group. The southern group, uh, which was largely just the tribe of Judah and tribe of Benjamin, um, they were able to hold out for another 100 years. Um, but ultimately, and we actually know the year, the year 586 B.C., the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar overran Judah, which included the city of Jerusalem. Now, that's important for a couple reasons. Um, well, two things happened. First off is that part of the tradition of the time was that you actually carried off significant portions of the population back to your home country. And so that's what happened. Tens of thousands of Israelites were carried to Babylon, were taken to Babylon. This is where we get the story from Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, that, that was all written in Babylon. Those events were taking place in Babylon. But the bigger thing, the bigger thing that relates to the book of Haggai is that Nebuchadnezzar emptied out the temple of all the gold and silver and then leveled it, just destroyed it. There was not one brick, one stone standing on another, just destroyed it completely. <clears throat> and we have to remember that the temple was the center of the life of the Israelites. Everything revolved around the temple. It, uh, it, obviously, there, there are sacrifices and, and it had a place there. But, but the symbolic and the, and the spiritual significance was even more important. And it's the place where God lived among them. We know this time and again. We see this multiple times where God physically lived or existed or uh, comprised the, the, the contents of the temple. So they carried off and away. Fifty years later, the Persians under King Cyrus overrun Babylon. And Cyrus, he's, he, within his first year, he tells the Israelites, you can go back to Israel. And he even says, I want you to rebuild the temple. In fact, here's all the gold. Somehow he got the Babylonian, you know, the treasury, got the gold and silver that was taken from the temple and gave it back to them and said, here, go rebuild your temple. And so that's what happened. But we know that actually from the, the account in um, Ezra that about 50,000 people w migrated back to Israel at this point in time. And we're also told that the foundation of the temple was completed. So they started rebuilding. But then Cyrus, we don't know if he died, what happened, but there's a change of king. Again, this is all in, this is in uh, the, the Old Testament book of Ezra. Artaxerxes, which is a great name. Artaxerxes followed um, Cyrus as king of Persia, and there's a political shift. Just like as what happens in any type, we've got change in leadership. The enemies of Israel saw a chance. And so what they did is that they, they locally they did different things to, for corruption to try to keep them from um, doing it. But the, the most important thing was they actually sent a letter full of lies and false charges and accusations to Artaxerxes. He said, shut it down. And so they did. They were, able, they were not able to work because of the opposition. And then Haggai shows up. And that's what we looked at last week. One of the things I forgot to mention last week, this kind of actually adds a little sense of, of what the significance was. It says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Haggai, it says that it was um, <clears throat> the first day of the month, which is significant because in the post-exile period, the Israelites, the first day of the month was the new moon. New moon was also a season of rest or time of rest. There was a couple days there of rest. Also was a time of celebration. So... When Haggai shows up, everyone's in a festive mood, feeling pretty good about things. And then we get to verse 3 of Haggai. So I want to put it on the screen. You can read along with me there, or you can read it on your own um, uh, Bible or apparatus. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. 
Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now remember, it's been 18 years since they finished, since they started rebuilding and they shut it down. 18 years have gone by, nothing happening. So now Haggai's talking. Verse five. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put clothes on, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. That's it. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, God, in the next few moments, as we dig in a little deeper, what's transpiring here, uh, God, help me to communicate well. But more importantly, Holy Spirit, help us to hear what you want us to hear. And uh, so speak to us, uh, whether it's through words spoken or just your quiet voice. Uh, we just pray that we'd be attentive to your leading now. In Jesus' name, amen. So my money in an envelope to Betsy showed a lack of priority in my actions toward her. Israelites did the same thing by making the temple an afterthought. Now, it's important to point out, this is not a story of God being jealous. You know, like, hey, that's not fair. I want a house too. Um, that's, not, that's not it at all. Remember that the temple was the center point of their life. And the reason why it's the center point, it was because it was their singular point of contact with God. It was the focal point of their relationship with him. Without the temple, there was no relationship. 18 years have gone by and nothing's happened. And the people just didn't care anymore. They were disinterested. Now, it wasn't as if they didn't know how to build. Um, they'd started the foundation. And it talks about there that you have paneling on your houses. So clearly they had houses. Paneling is in reference to the decorativeness, its ornateness. And so he's saying, listen, you're, you're not just building a shelter. You've actually gone a step beyond where you're building something of very high quality. And um, it's just, there's, he was pointing out their discrepancy. And they felt that God was no longer necessary for them to be content with life. They could get by like they were. They became happy with the way things were. And so why change? Why do we need to worry about this? Why do we need to change our priorities? They were focused on their priorities, not God's priorities. And like all of us, they tried to justify their misguided priorities. We're so busy. We just don't have enough time. I've never said that. Have you? Um, yesterday, I, was, I played the role of creator. You can't tell this. is a little Lego guy. I, I made him. 
I am a creator. Now think of the differences between him and me. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, animate, inanimate, you know, plastic, you know, flat. I mean, but all the other different, all the things that distinguish this from me. Now, think about the differences between you and the creator God of heaven and earth who existed before time and space. I would suggest to you the differences between us and God are far greater than the distances between me and my friend here. That being the case, does it make any sense to say to God, I'm going to do things my own way. I'll let you know if I need anything. It makes much more sense for the created being to say to its creator, what would you have me do? What do you want from me? But that's not what the Israelites were doing. They were ignoring God and pursuing all the things of life. Just like us. We have our plans, our dreams, and we're busy like crazy trying to make them happen. And because there was no direct consequence, they thought they were okay. But God, through the prophet Haggai, steps in and says, in essence, you're right, I'm not punishing you, but I'm not blessing you either. They were experiencing a drought in virtually every area of their lives. They thought they could ignore God and do their own thing, and life would be great. But God says, hold on, it doesn't work quite that way. He tells them, you need to reevaluate your priorities. Now, there's some discussion among Bible scholars, whether, you know, God's words here, whether they were literal or figurative. Um, in other words, we understand the, the literal part. There is a physical, physical drought and all that stuff. But figuratively, it, it could have, you know, he could have been trying to make a point. Um, you know, so was he trying to, in that, in that regard, was that are you trying to live life on your own terms? And you work and you work and you work and you pursue things that you think will make you happy. But look around, are you happy? Are you really happy? You know, you give your life to something only to get it and then discover it doesn't satisfy you like you thought it would. And we do this all the time, don't we? I know what I want. I know what will make me happy. I know how to find fulfillment. It might be a new job, maybe higher pay, one with greater power or an influence. Maybe we think that a different relationship than the one I'm currently in will bring me happiness. And then we get there, and is it ever enough to bring us true happiness? And the fact is, it doesn't work that way. Whether the circumstance of the Israelites were literal or God was speaking figuratively, the word from God is the same. Give careful thought to your ways. And the ways of the Israelites were based on the wrong priorities. See, we need to realize that our priorities reveal what we value. Those things and people who are most important to us. We need to realize that our priorities determine where we spend our time and energy and money. I've heard said that you can tell what's most important to a person by looking at their checkbook. Where do they spend the most money? Where are their priorities? And because much of our life today is an accumulation of daily choices and daily actions, our priorities will shape the future of our lives tomorrow. 
See, God was telling the Israelites, and he tells us today too. You, he was telling them, you put yourself first. You prioritize yourself before me. But that's not what it means to be a follower. Now remember, God isn't speaking to everyone here. He's speaking to the Israelites, his people, those that belong to him. And the same would apply to us as well. He's not speaking this to everybody. He's speaking to those of us who call him Lord. Those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. I have a a way to illustrate that. Let's just say that this truck is uh, your life. And so you're uh, going about your life and um, you're in it and, and you hear about Jesus and you say, you know what, I need Jesus in my life. You know, I, I need all that stuff. I want all that. And so, Jesus, I need you in my life. Hop in the back. And uh, we say, you know, if I run into trouble, you can hop out and fix it. In fact, it really works though because all the, you know, if you get a flat tire, there's a, the jack is right there. You're, you're right there. Easy thing. All right, let's go. Hop in the back. And um, it's what so many of us want from God. That we call him Lord, but what we really want is a servant that we can command and direct. Now, you might say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not going to make Jesus ride in the back. I'll let him ride in the cab with me. But you still want him in the back seat. You still want to be the driver. Let me say, let's say, we. We still, as human nature, we still want to be the driver. We want all that God has to offer. We want all the benefits, all the perks, and all the good things but we want to be in control of our life. We put him in, maybe we're not putting him in the back, maybe we put him in the, the cab with us, but we're still driving. Newsflash. Jesus isn't getting in until we give him the keys. When we can say to him, you drive, let's go where you want us to go. Here's what happens though when, that, that when we do that. We find ourselves going places and doing things we never could have done on our own. We find fulfillment in our relationship with him as well. And that's what the book of Haggai is about. It reminds us that we were created to function in relationship with God. God is to be our first priority. Not people, not things, nor status, not power. God is to be our first priority. Then lastly, Haggai reminds us that we discover God's provision when we put him first. Now, we're often tempted to think, I can't do that because I'm not in a good place. Time's not right. The circumstances aren't right. Haggai shows us that we're not in a good place because we're not doing what God has asked us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're just very grateful for all that you do um, and uh, thankful for the words of Haggai when he pointed out that the Israelites weren't doing anything wrong. They needed housing, and the fact that some of them were more ornate or decorated than others isn't in itself wrong. So it's not the actions themselves. God, it was just what the actions reflected, and it was the sense of, it was reflected their, their, their own hearts. 
that they had become used to and accustomed to the fact that your temple wasn't complete and they became okay with that. They just learned to live with it that way. Lord, some of us have learned to live our life in a way that isn't the way you designed. We've become content when we shouldn't have. And Lord, that's a reflection of our priority. Our God, our desire, Lord, my desire is to continue to seek you every day. Lord, that my pursuit of you isn't because you're elusive, it's because there's always more of you available to me than I currently have. So God, help us in the days ahead that we would, that we would, as we reflect and as we think about our life and our relationship with you, that we would recognize that there may be more that you have for us. And may we have courage and the willingness to uh, do our own little, and honest enough with ourselves to admit there may be some things out of balance. And then, Lord, give us the courage to make choices, to change behaviors, uh, whether it's turning off the TV uh, before we're used to, getting up a little earlier um, to spend time with you, or maybe it's uh, getting home on time to have dinner with the family. God, whatever the circumstances might be, Lord, may we give you priority in our life. And uh, may you be number one in all areas, physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally. God, may we learn to depend and trust in you on all things we ask and pray. So Lord, it's in Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.